Well, good evening. It is very good to see you. It is uh, such a pleasure to be with you again. It has been a few years. Uh, I think it's been about five years, actually, since we have been able to, to be with you in person. And uh, it is so good to be back. And we come a little bit uh, larger, maybe, a little bit more numerous. That's a better way. We're, we're, we're more than when we left. Um, and that we have a, a newborn, Eddie. Uh, he's, he, well, we can see him back there in the, in the glass room. Maybe Danielle will hold him up in a moment. But let me, before I, 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 we start with our presentation tonight, I just want to read a passage of Scripture that came to me um, from Philippians chapter 1. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, uh, says this in verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I, that's my testimony tonight. That was Paul's testimony in his uh, relationship with the church in Philippi, how they had partnered with Paul in the gospel and he was so thankful. And I, I resonate with that uh, for Harvest Baptist Church and your partnership with us in the gospel. Upon our, our every remembrance of you, we give thanks. You are a blessing to us, and we are so thankful for you. And so I want to start and end with gratefulness. And so thank you very much for your partnership in the gospel. Uh, tonight, what I would like to do is uh, just share a little bit of an update uh, what we have been doing, where we're at. And before that, though, I thought it might be fun to do a little quiz. Is that okay? And I was wondering, Danielle, can you hear me in there? Can you send the children out? I'm going to employ them. So I, I, I have confiscated some of the children's Easter candy to reward the, uh, the people. Well, since the children are in here tonight, I thought it might be fun to to have, uh, have them participate a little bit. So we'll give them first crack at these questions uh, to see if they can answer some of these, and then maybe our children can deliver their own candy to, to the, the winners. Okay. Yeah, come on, Eloise. Where's Emery? Oh, yeah, Emery, come here. Yeah. Okay, so question number one. How many countries... Are there in the UK? So we'll go to children first to see if they can answer. You can't answer. You, you. How many countries are in the UK? Any of our young people know? Don't be shy. It's okay. Okay. Three. Very close. Not so close. Okay. Four, you got it. Good job. Okay, Emery, deliver to him a piece of candy. Okay, Twix. That's good. Okay, so can we remember which, which, uh, which countries they are? Our adults? Okay. Northern Ireland. That's the one that gets people. So it's Northern Ireland and Scotland and Wales and then England. Well done. Good job. Okay, so question number two tallest building in the UK. In fact, okay, I, I will, for the young people, I will settle for any building in the UK. <laughs> any building. Okay. 
Big Ben. Good job, Eloise. Well done. What about the tallest building? Any of our, uh, our adults know? Nelson, do you know? It's close. That was the tallest building for a long time, up until 2012. Yeah, that's it, the Shard. Yeah, the Shard is the tallest building not only in the UK, but in the EU, at least when that Internet site was published. Okay, number of languages spoken in London. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Uh, number of languages. Okay, young people, just throw out some numbers there and we'll play hot and cold. Okay, three, more. 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 More than 50. More than 100. Not, not 10,000. Let's, let's, let's get a little crazy. Hold on, let them answer. 300. Who said that? Oh, good job. 300 is the answer. It's Ezzy's turn. Well done. Here, Ezzy. You go, you go take her a piece of candy in the back. Yeah, 300. Over 300. It's not quite known exactly how many. Ezzy, Ezzy, over here. Over here. So the, the top three, though, I think, well, English, of course. English is spoken. And then Bengali is the second. So Bengali, the language uh, from Bangladesh. What? Did you find her, Ezzy? Yeah, okay. No, he got it. Uh, and then Polish and then French. So those, those are the, the languages that are spoken most. Number four, what is the channel? Anybody know what the channel is? Oh, do you know? It's, you're very close. Okay, so it's an amalgamated word. Two words are put together. So you got the channel part of it. What's the rest of the word? Tunnel. So what is it? Yes, a channel tunnel. Good job. Well done. Here you go, Emery. We go deliver that. So that is the, that is the, the tunnel that goes underneath the channel to get over to, to France. We've ridden on it twice. Um, it's an interesting experience. Okay, last question. Uh, what is the fastest growing worldview? Fastest growing worldview. And it's a little bit of a tricky question. Hold on, Ezzy. Yes. Islam. So that's the fastest growing religion. And let's give him, yeah, let's give him his, uh, his candy for that. Okay, you guys can go sit back down. Good job. But the fastest growing worldview would be that of humanism, the secular mindset that there is no God, that I can determine my fate, I can make up my own um, mind on all of these things without any outside authority. And that's really brings me to the next slide that there's still a need for missions to the UK. Uh, these things are, are, are fun what we were talking about, but really when we get down to it, there's still a tremendous need for the gospel to go to the UK. We, we get that question every now and then, you know, why would you, can, why would you want to be a missionary in the United Kingdom, in England? Aren't there lots of churches there? And there are. Uh, what, what's the need there? Well, we can look at the statistics and here, I won't read through them, but there are, there are a few um, and this is going to be updated soon with the UK census, 2021 census, where all of these things are at least 10 years old and they're not getting any better. Um, there's a great need for the gospel to go back. But we've also seen this uh, observed. We've been there for four years, and in our experience, it's true. 
that what we see is largely a Christless culture, that there is no anchor point for the culture when it's making moral decisions. How do we know what's right and what's wrong? When you listen to them debate in Parliament, it's interesting because they don't have anything to refer to. All they can refer to is different studies. Long ago, they left the authority of Scripture, and they don't have anything to base their, their arguments upon, that the, the culture has left Christ. And we've seen churches close in our time there, gospel-preaching churches, Bible-believing churches. In the London area, we've seen at least two close that we know of. Many churches are without pastors. About a quarter to a third of the Baptist churches in London are without pastors. And many churches are quiet. They may have a pastor, and they may believe the gospel, but they are quiet in that they don't actively go out and proclaim the gospel. For instance, this is even within our own church. We had this uh, incident come up. We had, a couple years ago, there was a, a funeral, and we had about 200 people come to the funeral, and a very well-known person in our community. And so we put out gospel tracts and invitations to the church there in the foyer as people came in, and somebody came through and hid them because they were afraid of giving offense to, to somebody who was visiting, that they, that they would not want to offend them in, in their belief. And this is really the British value of tolerance, that we need to be tolerant of everyone else and everyone else's belief. And it is not right for you to impose your belief on someone else. And so we see that many of these churches, although they believe the gospel, but they are afraid to actively proclaim the gospel. And then many more of them, even though they, they maybe uh, have some gospel ministry where they're reaching out into the community, they are Bibleless, meaning that they have taken their scriptures and they have edited them to their own liking. There are things that they don't like and they have removed those. And so they do not, they, they have changed it where they don't preach uh, what the scripture says. And so there's a great need for the gospel to go back. Now, when we left to go to the UK, uh, you may be, you may remember that it was uh, a little bit unplanned uh, because we had planned after five years to go to Brimpton, a little town outside of Reading, but the Lord shut the door on that a couple months before we left to go to the UK. And we thought we'd found somewhere else to go to. And only two weeks before we left, the, the Lord closed the door on that place. And so Danielle and I, after praying and seeking counsel, we picked a place on the map inside of London. And in the Lord's sovereignty, it's only about 300 yards behind the church that he would want us to work at, that he placed us behind there. They, were, they had been praying for an assistant pastor for a few years, and we were praying for somewhere to go and serve and get experience, and the Lord in his sovereignty placed us right there. And after a few months, we were able to connect with them, and we have been at Salem Baptist Church uh, since that time. I'll show you a picture of that in a moment. But where is that? Well, it's in the place of Uxbridge and Hayes. So this is, uh, here's our map. Here, here's the UK, green, that's England. The uh, orangish red there is Wales. Scotland in the yellow, and Northern Ireland, that's the orange. Uh, the Republic of Ireland is the gray there. That's a separate country. We are in London. So if you, look at, if you look at the bottom right, 
there. You can see the Ring Road, the M25 that goes around London. That's where we are located. Um, this is map of London, according to Burroughs. We are all the way on the left, near Heathrow in the borough of Hillingdon. Uh, and that's where we're located. Here's a picture of uh, the town square there in Uxbridge. It's at the end of the tube line, so if you are in London and you jump on the Metropolitan Line and you head west all the way to the end, this is where it will take you, and that's where our church is at. There are the boys on the tube. Here is a picture of the high street. You can see kind of the juxtaposition of some Tudor architecture there, that older building. It's now a Japanese restaurant. And then the, uh, some, some more modern architecture. So that's Uxbridge, and we also are in the community of Hayes. And, and Hayes is very diverse. Even for London, it's very diverse. And so what we have here, it literally, if you, if you go to Hayes, you can do, look on Google Maps as well, you can see this mosque placed directly beside a Gujuara, a Sikh place of worship. And they are neighbors to each other, just over the fence. And you go a little farther down, and there is a Catholic church, and then there's another mosque, and then there is a Hindu temple as well. Um, so it's very diverse. These people have learned to live together. Here's a, a slide of a little video of just uh, what it might look like there on a Friday. I don't know if this is what you think about when you, when you think about London, but this is where we're at right now. It's uh, a, a very diverse place. Uh, and in this area... Uh-oh. I think my computer just froze. Yep. Give me one second. I'll relaunch that. But where we are at, it's, it's very diverse. And that's probably the majority of the population of where we're at in Hayes is Muslim. And then the second would be Sikh uh, from Punjab, that area of India. Sorry about this. be back with us in a second. Um, I'll jump ahead in the slides. I think I remember where we're going, and then I'll refresh you when it, when it catches up with us. Um, but we are at Salem Baptist Church. Salem Baptist Church is founded in the 1850s, so it's been around for a little while, and we serve alongside uh, Pastor Kirk, William Kirk and his wife Marie. So Pastor Kirk has been there for about seven years, and we came um, in 2018 is when we met him, and we started serving with him in August of 2018, and uh, we've been with him officially since February of 2019. We agreed to be with them for at least three years to help them uh, in the ministry there. And so we have been there with them, and I, I'll go through what, what we do. Here we go. Are we back? Yeah, that's the church. So that's Salem Baptist Church. That's where, we, that's where we serve. And again, this was only just a few hundred yards as Marshall could tell you, and Jenna, they, just a few hundred yards behind our house. It was easy to walk to church when we lived there. Here's the inside. That's Pastor Kirk there. This is during COVID when we had to have a, we had to have a glass screen to, 
to keep the, the pastor away from everyone else. So kind of in a cage there. And there is, uh, there's Pastor Kirk and uh, some members of our church. Uh, Dinesh he and his family, they're from Sri Lanka, a great family that we get to serve alongside. We also have a co-worker, it's Angie Baker. She serves with us. So my wife there on the right and, and Angela's there on the left. And she helps us with the music and with the children's work. So what do we do at, at Salem? Well, a lot of our ministry is our Bible club. This is my favorite ministry. This is Thursday nights. These are little kids. These are my children and others. We have about 12 to 14 children every Thursday night where we are doing, we're, we're, we're learning the, the core doctrines of the scriptures together. So we get together and we play games. We sing songs. We memorize Bible verses. It's a catechism style program that we follow, and it's, it's been great. We have holiday Bible clubs that, uh, that we run during the, uh, when, when school is not in. So there's a picture of that. Here's another picture of some Bible clubs that we're doing. Hey, and here's one. Um, this was our favorite Bible club that we did, where we had the, uh, the Pinewood Derby race. And if you look very carefully, there on the right-hand side, you'll see someone familiar who is keeping score. That's uh, when Marshall and Jenna were able to be with us. And uh, that was a great Bible club, because we had 30-some kids... And all of them, came, they all came throughout the week. It just grew. And they all came back on the Saturday. And they all brought their parents. And they all heard the gospel. And they all had a lot of fun. And we made some good connections then uh, that they stayed with us up, and through, up until COVID uh, with some, young, some of those young people. So that's Thursday nights. And then on Friday nights, we have our teen ministry. So I teach the teens. And we get together and we play games. And we eat and we sing. And we uh, talk about difficult things because these, these teenagers are in secondary school and they are, what they're being taught at school just goes completely opposite to what we're teaching at, at, at church. And so they come and they have big questions and they want to know, they, Clay, what does the Bible say about creation? You know, I, I, I heard this in school this week. What does the Bible say about gender? What does the Bible say about marriage? You know, all these things. And so this is our opportunity to really invest in those young people, to shore them up in their belief, uh, and to encourage them. So there we are uh, with, with some teens, and we took them to camp. We're going to talk about a, a culture shock for them. You know, these kids, most of them had never been out of London, and we took them you know, five hours away to Wales, no electricity, no flushing toilets, and it was a great week uh, as far as, as getting them out of their comfort zone, putting them in an environment where they're with some other young people who are also Christians, and, and sit and to, to, to learn uh, from the teaching and to be together and have so, a lot of fun. So there's a picture of all of us going to camp. The past two summers, it's been canceled, but Lord willing, this summer, we'll be taking a group of young people back. And then a lot of our ministry, or my ministry at least, has been preaching. Uh, I take at least one service, sometimes two services, sometimes more than that, uh, a month uh, to assist Pastor Bill. And so there were teaching, and uh, of course we all went online during the COVID time during lockdown. Another part of our ministry has been construction. If you followed along with us through our lockdown updates, you saw that this coincided with lockdown. 
So uh, Marshall mentioned that you guys had some work done inside the church when, when the building was closed. We had the same thing. We were closed for about five months, and it, we needed to have this construction done because the floor was giving way. There were some structural problems with the floor in our sanctuary where it was actually caving in from underneath. So you couldn't see it. It looked fine on top, but once I went underneath, there were large chunks of concrete that had fallen away. And the engineer who came and looked at it said, you cannot meet in here uh, again. This, this could be, this is a health risk. So we, we had a fellowship hall that we could use. And so um, that started a project where we completely refurbished the sanctuary of the church. And we, we worked as a team uh, during lockdown, and we did a lot of it ourselves. So here's a, this picture of me and the kids working there. I led that project. Uh, I had a little bit of experience in the construction industry, and so... The church followed, uh, followed me along with that, and the Lord really blessed it. The church was able to finance it all themselves without having to seek any financial help from anyone else. The people gave, and, and it, was, uh, it was done in five months, and it was really a, a great time for the church to come together. But those uh, problems with the physical foundation of the church paralleled what was going on with the church spiritually, in that the church is, was crumbling neglected, and at imminent risk of collapse. And it's not just our church, but many of the churches are, we have found this to be true in the UK, that they have ignored some of the, the basic teaching uh, for many years. And so what, this came up as I went to different church members and had asked, you know, just simple questions, you know, what do you believe about our Bible? Is our Bible trustworthy? Well, getting different answers. What do you believe about creation? And we were getting different answers. What do you believe about who should be a pastor? About who should be a deacon? Uh, how should the church operate? Where, what, what, is a, what does a Baptist church look like? And even people who had been in church for many years were giving us very different answers. And so this led us to the process of rewriting our statement of faith. And we started it in the beginning of last year, and we worked through the doctrine of Scripture and we work through the doctrine of God, and now we have come through the doctrine of man and man's creation, man's fall, man's need of redemption. And currently, right now, we're working through the doctrine of Christ, the person and work of Christ. And so we are teaching. Pastor Bill and I split up the, the teaching uh, on Sunday mornings, and then we have a workshop where we get all of our members together to discuss what we have talked about, and then two weeks later, we vote on that, and that becomes the next part of our statement of faith for each topic. So we're doing it kind of uh, sequentially there. And so this is what's, this has been our focus uh, for much of the time because we are really trying to redirect the trajectory of the church. And here's a, just a few other pictures about home life. Um, so we're playing some baseball in the back, back garden there. And uh, on a slack line there, that was during lockdown. We could, couldn't go anywhere. So. The kids enjoying some ice cream when baby Edward came home. This is, uh, this is our home where we live now. It's a temporary location. It is a, a church parsonage, a church manse. So it's at a neighboring church about 20 minutes away from Salem. And we live there because this church can't afford a pastor. They don't have a pastor. They can't afford a pastor. And so they were looking to let out their, their property. And we were looking for a place at the time. And it's been really great for us. It has two bathrooms. 
So we are, we're really pleased with that. And, um, and it's, it's a larger property, and, and we, we thought it was going to be a longer-term situation for us, but it's just going to be temporary. But what we wanted to do was have a larger place to house guests because we wanted, after COVID had, had finished, we want to have people come over, and, and we are having an intern come this summer to serve alongside of us. And so she'll be with us here at this property until we have to move on. A big part of our life, though, is at school. So the children attend a Church of England school. So this is a public school. It's funded by the government, but it has a Christian ethos, is what they say. And so we've been involved there. It has been good for us to understand life in the UK. As some of you have noticed, it has given my children British accents a little bit. So if you speak to them, you might be able to pick that up. So getting ready for school, he's not always that happy and going. So there's one of the projects... World Book Day uh, a few weeks ago. And here's something that has been really great that we've been able to do is that uh, last year, for the first time, the school held a Bible festival. This is kind of up to the school what they want to do. But I I don't know. Think about that, a public school having a Bible festival. And we, they have different ministers from the community come in and teach Bible stories. And so when I heard about it, I jumped all in. I was a governor at the school at the time, so I had a little bit of influence. And I said, we'd like to give each child uh, a Bible storybook. And so we were, we were able to do that. And this year, we were able to do it again. And, so, and then I went in. I was able to teach five different times uh, through, through, this, through this week to individual classes and one time to the entire school and all the staff and able to share the gospel with them and teach on the the death of Christ and the resurrection. And it was just a tremendous opportunity. And then we were able to give every child one of these books. And it has a clear gospel presentation in it, stick our bookmark in there, connecting us back to Salem Baptist Church, and send them home with the gospel where they can read it with their parents. And it was just, it's, it's probably been the best opportunity that we've had to share the gospel with unbelievers. So... We do enjoy to explore the UK when we have opportunity, um, which is not all that often, but we, we like to. Uh, so get out of London, get out of the, the, the smoke, and to, and to come out and enjoy the, uh, the rest of the UK. So just real quick, our ministry plan going forward. Uh, we want to continue the doctrinal restructuring that I spoke about, this process of rewriting the statement of faith. We are scheduled, Lord willing, to be done uh, by October, so you can pray with us about that. And continue the children in the youth work and stop the leaks. That we have uh, parents in our church with, with children in their 20s and 30s that used to attend church, and now they've kind of faded away. We're really trying to protect the ones that the Lord has given us right now and that they stay involved in the church or wherever, in a church, wherever the Lord might lead them. We want to continue to develop some community evangelism like what we are doing at the school. Um, just to get more of our church involved in that. Develop and help some ministry training. There's a young man who has felt like the Lord has called him to ministry. We want to help him kind of take the next steps in in that process of of, uh, training to serve. And then we want to consider our next steps. We feel that, you know, we we did three years at Salem, and we're praying about is that still where the Lord wants us to be, or would he have us to move on to consider what might be next in London? So prayer requests there. There's a few things. Um, one thing I'll note is that we are here now uh, for Danielle's mother, who, who's been battling cancer. You guys have probably 
been following along with us in our prayer letters with that. And so things are going fairly well right now, and that's why Danielle and the children are, have been able to come down. And uh, so we're going to be here for a little over a week left. We leave a week from tomorrow to go back. But we're here to really kind of support her uh, during this time. It's been very difficult for her. And so then there's a few other requests there. And then, again, thank you for your partnership with us. Uh, we cannot do it without you. You know, we are, we are on, on both sides of the equal sign. We, we need our, our sending churches, and we need the missionaries going. Without one, we don't get the other. And so we, you are uh, invaluable to us. And so we, so valuable. And we want to say thank you to you. And just before we go to the scriptures, I thought maybe if you have any, any questions or I, I probably missed something, and if you caught that and, and you, you have any comments or questions at all, you take just maybe five minutes here and uh, we can go over that if you have any thoughts. Yes, ma'am. So what's the average attendance at your church? So before COVID, we had about 80, 75 to 80 people. Since COVID, it's, it dropped down to maybe 50 or so. So a lot of the people that were kind of on the edge and were considering becoming more involved just never really came back. And we did lose uh, a few people passed away during that time and, and a few people moved away. So, you know, we, we shrank a little bit at that time. So, yeah, good question. Other questions? Yes, sir. Over 200. I ordered all the books, so it was over 200, 210 maybe, and I did that last year as well, so we've, we've sent them home with a different book this year, um, and the children remembered, it was, it was interesting, they remembered, hey, I remember getting that new book, because they get sent home a lot of used books, uh, but a new book that they get to keep was unique, and so I know that they, that they were reading it, in fact, I saw them carrying it to and from school uh, a few days after it. Afterwards, I said, one little girl in particular, you know, I saw her carrying it with her as she walked to school. She really treasured that, so it was, it was a great opportunity. Yes? Mm -hmm. The people who hear the gospel? Um, it, it depends on who you're talking to. So a lot of where we live is immigrants, and those immigrants are, are fairly open. You know, they, ha they come to a completely new world, a new language, and a lot of our visitors are people who uh, want to see what, what a church is like. You know, they knew that, that England was a Christian nation, and so they are open to trying new things and becoming English and, and going to a church is, is one of those things. And so that really, that's really a good opportunity for us to share the gospel with them. Uh, some of the people who have been there longer are not so open. Yeah, they would, uh, they, especially if it's in public. If it's in public, then usually you'll get some pushback. In fact, one of that picture that I showed you at the end of the tube line, uh, that community, uh, that plaza, that town center. There, I, there's a man that I know that I've talked to on occasion before that that's his ministry. He goes to those plazas in, in busy tube stations and he sets up his box and he preaches and he hands out tracts. And uh, about a year ago, he was arrested for hate speech. 
and, and so the general public does not welcome that. In fact, you watch, you watch them in those situations, and the, the, the people will, will go way out of their way to, to avoid anybody handing out literature or anybody uh, preaching publicly. They, they don't like that. And so I don't, I don't feel like I don't feel led to do that. You know, we do more of a interpersonal stuff, more one-to-one in those opportunities. Yes? That's okay. So we have our, like, once-a-year outreaches, like Vacation Bible School, mm-hmm. Christmas banquets, and things like that. What type of uh, outreaches do you have? Or do you, do you have Yeah. Like so uh, our, for the children, we have Vacation Bible Schools. So those, we call them Holiday Bible Clubs. So we'll do it. Uh, sometimes we've, we've done it during Easter, the week before Easter, because the children are out of school. Like our, ch- our kids are out of school for three weeks right now um, for the Easter break. And so, and then again in the summertime, we'll do that. We'll have a holiday Bible club where uh, if we advertise it well, we'll get maybe 30 or 40 kids that come in because it's free child care. And so the parents will come and bring their children. And we have Muslim kids come. We have Hindu kids come, Sikh kids come. So they don't, they don't care so much that it's at a church. Um, for the adults, our biggest outreach every year is our carol concert, because that's something that is traditional, that the, the people expect to sing carols on Christmas. And so uh, the Sunday before Christmas in the evening, we have carols by candlelight, what we have done. And so we decorate the church nicely, and we put the candles out, and we have, a, uh, we have the Christmas program where we tell the story of Christmas, and we sing carols and, and share the gospel there. And we have mince pies afterwards. Any other questions? Yes? Can you talk about the role that tradition plays within the church and in the community? Well, uh, that's a good question. So tradition within our church, because it's 170 years old, there's a a fair amount of that. Uh, Well, this is how we have always done things. You know, and who are you? Don't you know how a Baptist church works? And why would you come in here and try and change it? Um, when actually, I've looked at their history, and it's not how they, they have always done things. Uh, it's just that this is how it's been done for the past 30 years. Um, but a lot of those traditions carry on in the, the, the Church of England churches, so the Episcopal churches or Anglican churches there, and that uh, a, a large part of the school schedule just operates around that. So we have big breaks at Easter, and we have big breaks at Christmas, and so the school schedule operates around holidays that are traditionally are, are Christian holidays that the church would celebrate. Um, that, that's, I think that's it off the top of my head, but I'll, I'll think on that further and come back to you. Maybe one more, one more question. Nobody wants to know what team I support? No? <laughs> Okay, it's Manchester City. They drew today against Liverpool, so it wasn't a great day. Okay, let's, let's turn uh, to our scriptures then. Uh, Luke chapter 5. Just for a few minutes here. Uh, I just want to encourage you, a message that you know well. I know you know it well. A passage that you know well. Uh, it's probably not going to be anything new, but maybe just a reminder for you. At a, one of my favorite passages, and just for you to consider uh, the role of a disciple. What is the the calling or the role of a disciple of Jesus Christ? If if we were to write a job description, what would be on it? 
Well, I think this passage really answers that question for us. So Luke chapter 5, and we'll look at verse 1 uh, through 11 here just for a few moments. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. So here we see Jesus. He's been teaching. He's been preaching. He's been healing, performing miracles in the, the region of Galilee. And he's a mini-celebrity. You know, people, he has a following. People want to be close to him. They want to touch him. They want to, they, they want to be near him. And so he's preaching on that lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and the people are pushing him into the water because they want to be so close to him. So you can see you know, Jesus backing up further and further until his ankles are in the water. And then he, he, he looks over this way, and he sees some boats on the shore, and one of them is Peter's boat. We know later another one is James and John, and probably Peter's brother Andrew is there. And they are, it's early in the morning, and they're there mending their nets. They've just been fishing all night, and as they had to do then, the, the nets were made out of, they weren't made out of plastic, but they had been made out of uh, something like linen, and they would decompose, and they had to be mended and dried correctly every day if you were going to get them out again in the evening. So there they are, uh, finishing up their work from the night before, and Jesus sees them, and he asked for Peter, Peter, let me have your boat. And then Peter pushed me out uh, from, the sh from the shore to the shallows where everybody can see me and everybody can, uh, can, can hear me. And so Peter listens. And none of this is by accident. None of, none of this is a sovereign setup. Uh, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And the testimony of Scripture here emphasizes that. That this, this is not so much what Jesus is preaching and teaching. In fact, we're not told at all what he was preaching and teaching, just that he was preaching. And because the, the narrative jumps from what, what was happening here, Luke giving this backstory to, uh, to this event, to what happens next. And what happens next down in verse, uh, in verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, so we're not told what he was said, what he was talking about. He said to Simon Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So we have this sovereign setup and now we have a surprising command because the, Peter, who's been listening, probably there in the boat after working all night, maybe nodding off a little bit listening to Jesus. And now Jesus turns to him and says, okay, now take your boat and go out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Oh, that's interesting. You know, that, that would not... How would Peter have responded? How would you have responded if, if you were in that boat that day? After working all night, frustrated, not catching anything? Ah, oh, Jesus, not, not today. You know, let me get a nap. I'm hungry. It's time for breakfast. It's time for lunch. You know, maybe later. Rain check on this. You know, it, Jesus, that is not how we do things. We don't fish during the day. We fish at night. We don't fish at the deep. We fish in the shallows. What are you talking about? A little bit of doubt, maybe? And that's kind of, you, you, you can see a little bit of that in his response. Look at verse 5. 
But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. You hear that doubt just a little bit? Jesus, we've been doing this all night. Jesus, I'm the professional here. You're a carpenter, uh, but I'm a professional fisherman. I know what I'm doing. We've done this all night, and we haven't caught a thing. Now look at the rest of his response, because that's what's important. And then he says, But nevertheless, or nevertheless at your word, I will let down the net. So Peter's doubt there is overcome by his faith and his obedience to our Lord's command. You know, what else does he need to uh, reason to obey other than it's what Jesus said to do? And so that's what he's going to do. And then in verse 6, we see uh, the surprising catch. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come out and to help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. So there's Peter. He goes out there and he obeys Christ's command. He lets down the nets and they pull up a monstrous catch. Now more fish than they ever caught before. So much so that he signals back to his friends on the shore, come and help me. You have to help me get all these fish in. Look at this great catch. Look at how much money this is going to bring in for us. You know, get your ship over here. Let's get them in. And they're piling the ship or the, the fish into the, into the boats. And now the boats are starting to sink. The water's coming over the gunnels. And at this moment, uh, Peter realizes something. And I've always thought this was interesting because look at what he says in verse 8. He, he says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. There's a divine realization here. And it's, it's not what I expected Peter to say. I, I, I would expect him to say, how is this possible, Jesus? How, where did you find all these fish? But what we see is that he says something different. He, he realizes that, number one, he realizes that he is in the presence of God. That the man in his boat is omnipotent and omniscient. One... Uh, Commentator, commentator said this. That he said, Here was the Lord of fish and fishermen, the Lord of nature, the Lord of men, and of their daily work. Peter realized that in that moment. And then secondly, he realized that he is a sinner, that he is unworthy to be in the presence of God. That's why he says, Depart from me. He realizes that he is not worthy to be in the presence of the Holy One. What's really interesting, I think, in this account is that this is not the first time that Peter had seen Jesus' miraculous power. Just a chapter before, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. So what is significant about this, about this event? Well, I think it's that, that it was so common for Peter. There, on the Sea of Galilee, that's Peter's lake. Time and time we see Peter go back to that. That's where he's comfortable. And it's in Peter's boat. It's with Peter's net. And it's with Peter himself that Jesus performs this miracle. And it's Jesus invaded Peter's world to, to show him who he was. And at that moment, Peter humbled himself. And uh, if, in the, on, on the, the sea that day, it was Jesus who was doing the fishing. 
And it kind of, if, you, if you're a fisherman, it's, that's, that's when the, the drag went out. The neen sound that he had hooked what he was looking for. Because now that Peter has humbled himself before Christ, there is something that now Jesus can use him. Peter's pride is out of the way. He, he has fallen down before the Lord and Savior, and now he can be used. And what does, what happens next? Well, let's keep reading the story. Verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So here it is. Here's that, that question answered. What is it to be a disciple? What's our calling? If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ today, what is your calling? What is your role? Well, it's what Jesus told Peter and the other disciples on the Sea of Galilee that day, that you are to be a fisher of men. This was all just a big object lesson for Peter, to help Peter understand what he was going to do, what his job would be. Peter, just like you fish and you throw out your net and you bring in these fish into your boat, you are going to be catching men. You're going to be casting out the gospel and you're going to be bringing in souls to Christ. And that's, that's what we see. That's what we see in Peter's life. That's in, in the book of Acts, the first 12 chapters are given over to Peter's life and ministry. Him preaching largely to most of those 12 chapters. And, and we see thousands of people coming to Christ as he cast out the gospel net and, and people come and respond to Jesus. And then I think the maybe the most uh, amazing verse in this is what happens in verse 11. It says, So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now, imagine that. There's Peter, James and John, maybe Andrew's there, just had the biggest uh, commercial success of their life. Their, their boats are overloaded. And what did they do? They quickly pulled up on shore. They boxed up all the fish. They ran into town. They sold them. They took the gold, put it in their money purse, came back to Jesus, said, okay, Jesus, now I'll follow you. And in case things don't work out, I've got this to fall back on. No. No, they left everything. They, they, left, they left the boats there. They left their fish there. They left their jobs. They left their homes. They left their security, all to follow Jesus. I was thinking everything that we as parents would not want our children to do is exactly what they did. They just left every, all, those secure, all those secure things, those, those sources of comfort. They left them all, and they followed Jesus. It's like the Holy Spirit is, is highlighting that for us, how important this is to be a fisher of men. So to be a fisher of men, just three quick applications, and then, then we're finished. Um, Number one, it, it demands a change to our priorities. That's really what's, what's being emphasized here in this last verse. It demands a change to our priorities. It demands an ever-increasing affection for people. We have to love people. We have to be growing in our love for people. It's so easy, and I'm, I'm very guilty of this, to become disconcerted and to become embittered against people. There are some people that just, oh, you just don't like, and you'd rather not talk to them. 
And you've had, you've had problems in the past, and it's easier just to avoid them. And we have to be growing in our love and our care for people. And, and conversely, we have to be decreasing in our love and our affection for things. Because that's the message of the world today, is that things will make you happy. All you need is a little bit more money and a ne the next shiny gadget, and I am guilty of this too, that I think, oh, that, that's what I need, and then I'm going to be happy. And then I just need the next one, and then the next one. But what Scripture teaches is that, no, we are to be loving people, loving these eternal things, the eternal souls that are all around us, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family. We have an ever-increasing burden for them and a decreasing affection for things. Secondly, it demands our obedience to Jesus' commands. It demands our obedience despite our comfort. If you look back in verse 5 there, again, thinking about Peter, after he was commanded by Jesus to go out into the deep, oh, it was a long night, he's tired, he's hungry, he wants to go lie down, he wants to be with his family, but he obeys despite that comfort. We obey despite popularity. If you think about it, you know, because again, they didn't fish with these nets at least during the day. This was unusual. And here Jesus has put everybody, uh, you know, put Peter on display in front of everybody. All the, the crowds that were there that he was just preaching to, dozens, perhaps hundreds of people, are there watching what's going to happen next. Watching Peter go out into the deep. Hey, we don't fish out there. What's he doing? Doesn't he know that that's, he's not going to get anything? You know, and Peter, that probably was going through his mind. You know, what are people going to think about me? This is strange. This is weird. This is not usual. But we are to obey Christ's commands when they are popular and when they are unpopular. We are to obey despite our doubts. Certainly Peter had that, this, that niggling thought in his in his heart, oh, this isn't going to work. This, is, this net is going to come up empty. This is not going to, to work out well. But he has to obey despite those doubts. And finally, the call of a disciple to be a fisher of men demands our humility. That this did not depend on Peter. It wasn't on his own cleverness. It wasn't that he knew where the fish were. It wasn't on his own uh, persistence even. It all depends on Christ. He is the enabler. He gives the grace. But what he is looking for are people who are humble to be used by him. He's not looking for ability. He's looking for humility. Isn't it? We are not worthy, but our Lord and Savior, the, the master of the fish, the master of the sea, the master of the boat, and of men and their daily work is worthy of all things. But is our calling to follow him and to be a fisher of men.